Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here today. Welcome, everybody, in Knoxville as well. We are one church in two locations, if you didn't know. And uh, we are in a series that we are calling Just One Bite. We started in week one a couple of weeks ago in the book of Genesis, and we were looking at Adam and Eve, and with one bite, they sinned. And with that one bite, the world was broken. And ever since then, We've been trying to fix that brokenness. We've been trying to overcome sin in our life. And every January, it seems like this brokenness comes to the forefront and we all want to try to overcome some of this brokenness. And so we set some New Year's resolutions. We set some goals to eat better, get healthy, read more, all the things. And and what happens inevitably for many of us is that we end up failing uh, because we are, are succumbed to temptation. And the temptation overwhelms us and we go back to normal. But in this series, we've been talking about how to overcome temptation and to actually reach our goals. And part of that strategy for us is that we are fasting for 21 days. We're getting into the word of God. We are praying every day as a church family. If you haven't picked one of these up, I feel like we still have some in the atrium that you can grab. They're online as well. But I really hope that you're taking advantage of this, that as a church, we're praying for these things. You're adding your prayer request in these spots as well. And, and I'm asking you to fast either from maybe a few days from food uh, or maybe one day, uh, perhaps do a social media fast, uh, fast from TV. The, the, the point is to uh, create some space and some margin into your life so that you can have some creativity and some focus yet again. Use that time to get into the Word of God and, and to develop some spiritual habits that, are gonna, that will help you overcome temptation in your life this year. And so you've got one more week as a church uh, to do this together. I hope that you will. And 2 Samuel 11 is where we're going to be today. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, 2 Samuel is right after 1 Samuel, if you didn't know. And... Um, we're going to look at the, uh, the life of David in this scene of his life where he really fails royally. And because of his failure and, and because he does not overcome temptation in his life in this section, years and years and years of struggle and chaos in his family reign. And so I want us to learn today that we, in fact, can actually be proactive in our spiritual life and not just reactive. And so I think you probably know the difference. Some of you live a reactive lifestyle. You just kind of go with the flow and then you react as things happen instead of being proactive. And so I'll give you an example. If you're in business, a reactive uh, approach to life is, is, is someone in business that would just react to the market and respond as things happen. Instead of being proactive and, and, and creating a plan, whether it's good or bad, that you're ready for. And so if you're just reactive, then you're just going to assume that the market is always going to be good. But then when it has a downturn, you're going to be struggling. A proactive business owner would, would create a rainy day fund just in case, you know, the income uh, or the market is lower. You have this rainy day fund to take care of you and get you through that season. And so there's a proactiveness that you can uh, uh, create in your life to get ready for issues and problems, or there's just the reactive. I'm just going to go with the flow and, and just kind of see what happens. And so in our spiritual life, it, it's much the same. If you're proactive in some things in your life, then you're going to avoid some temptation. 
And listen, you're going to set yourself up to win. I remember uh, when I first saw my, my wife, Micah, we were at a, a wedding and, and she was there uh, with some loser and, and we, were, we were eating the rehearsal dinner and man, my eyes were just locked. Like I knew this, this was the girl. And so I was waiting for the right moment and I was trying to be proactive with how I was going to, to get with her alone to be able to have some type of conversation. And so I saw her stand up as she was talking and something just told me that she was, she was going out into the, the, the lobby area there where the restrooms were. And so I positioned myself proactively. Some of you might call that stalking. <laughs> I call that being proactive. And so, uh, and so I did. And so I was kind of there just like, oh, I'm randomly in the uh, lobby here. And oh, and, and that was the conversation that led to, you know, four kids in 22 years, right? And so you could, <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. So you can be reactive or you can be proactive. And in our spiritual life, I want to encourage you. Let's learn from David today. He's 50 years old. Uh, he's been a, a good king. He's been a courageous leader. He's been a guy who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. He's a giant slaying, courageous type leader. But in our text today, he fails miserably. And so we need to learn from him. Here's what the scripture says. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from the couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman and one said, and one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her, her uncleanness. And then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. I want you to notice here in the very beginning of this story, verse one, where it says, it was a time when kings go out to battle. You see in Tennessee, there are certain seasons where you can hunt, right? There's certain seasons where it's muzzleloader only. There's certain seasons where it's bow hunting only, but then there's the rifle season. And so we, we understand that when it relates to hunting deer, perhaps. In David's time, there was a, a season for warfare. There was a time to go to battle and that was when the weather was good. So they were all had, kind of had this understanding amongst all the tribes that when it's cold, we need to go take care of our families and, and try to survive the winter and stay warm. But when it warms up, temperature, you know, increases, then it's time to go to battle. And so David doesn't go into battle with his armies. He sends them into battle and he stays home and lays on the couch. So the first strategy to be proactive in your life that I want you to write down today is that you want to put yourself in the right environments. 
David was not in the right environment. He was at home on the couch. He should have been a courageous leader leading his army like every other king. He should have been the leader to his men. He should have been a leader for the kingdom that he led, but he didn't. He stayed at home. He was in the bedroom instead of in the battle. And I just want to insert here that some of you are doing the same thing. You're in the bedroom playing video games instead of in the battle. Some of you are in the bedroom only concerned about yourself and your needs instead of the battle that God wants you to fight in this community, in your family or for your family to lead them. And like David, you're not in the right environment. Now, now why would David do this? Why wasn't he in the right spot? And, and this is just me speculating, but I would say that he was in a pretty comfortable spot. I mean, he's the richest guy around. He's a king. He has a palace. He has a harem. I mean, he, the guy had everything you could possibly desire or want. And so because of all the luxuries and because of all the comfort, he'd lost his edge. And, 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 and he was just kind of in this, this season of just really selfish and, 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 and I would say perhaps even lazy. And so what I want you to hear from that is that sometimes comfort can be a curse. And some of us are comfortable today. You know, we have a little bit of success in life, perhaps. You have an income that takes care of your family. You've got washers and dryers and all these appliances and cars. And you, we've got everything essentially that you might need in your life. And, and sometimes that comfort becomes a curse. And after a little bit of success, then all of a sudden you're tempted to kind of take it easy. You're tempted to kind of lose the edge. Your prayer life becomes non-existent. Even your church attendance becomes sporadic. Your reading in the Bible becomes non-existent. And you just kind of expect God's blessing to continue to just roll down the road and as if, as if there's no spiritual battle uh, happening in your life. And because of the comfort, we set ourselves up for failure because we lose that edge. There's a great business book called What Got You Here Won't Keep You Here. What got you there won't keep you there. And I, I think it, it, it teaches us, you know, from a, from a secular standpoint that you've got to continually grow. You've got to continually push yourself to get to the next level. And in our spiritual life, much can be said uh, as well. I, I think a lot of times even churches become comfortable. We become comfortable with the status quo. We become comfortable with us for no more. We become comfortable in our holy huddles. And, and we lose that desire, what, what some might call a holy discontent. Like we, we, we don't have that holy discontent where we want more of God, of, of God in our life, more of Christ. You know, we, don't, we want more of, of his blessing. We want more of his spirit poured out on us. We want to see more people come to faith. We want to see more people added to the kingdom of God. Instead, we get comfortable. And, and so we don't want to, you don't want to mess with service times or you know, we don't want to mess with where we park and we don't want to mess with counseling centers. We don't want to mess with all of these things that would call us to give sacrificially or to serve and, and, and to get out of our comfort zones, to do things that we wouldn't normally do. This is where David is, I think. I think he's comfortable and he's lost his edge. One of the things I see happening with empty nesters 
uh, that's concerning is that a lot of moms and dads of, you know, kids and teenagers come to church and it's almost like they bring their kids to church just for their kids to, you know, stay out of trouble. And so they do this and then their kids graduate, maybe move on to college. And then as empty nesters, it's kind of like they get comfortable and they're like, whoo, we survived. Granted, yes, that's got to feel good. But then what happens is in their comfort of we don't have to worry about our kids' decisions anymore, church becomes secondary. Their spiritual life becomes um, not a priority. And then eventually I see them phase out of church altogether. And it just reveals that they weren't here for themselves and God's glory and their spiritual growth. They were just kind of here for God just to kind of make sure their kids stay in line. And so I want you to hear me today, if you've got kids, put that in the back of your mind that one day that does not become a temptation for you and your comfort. If you take yourself out of church, if you take yourself out of those good relationships that God wants us to be in, then you're setting yourself up for temptation. And this is where David's at. He set himself up for this. And this is about the, the reactive lifestyle. If you're not in the right environments, if you're not putting yourself in the right environments, then you're just setting yourself up to fail. And we don't wanna do that. We wanna be consistent in our church attendance. We wanna be consistent with developing godly relationships in our lives so that we can avoid temptation. Listen, if you will just put yourself in the right environments, then you'll avoid the temptations, uh, so many of them, that the enemy wants to throw your way. So just being here today, you're avoiding temptation. Just being in a small group environment consistently, you're gonna be avoiding temptations in your life. Be proactive, young people. If you're 16 to 22 years of age, you are in the most dangerous season of your life. The decisions that you make today are gonna to impact you for the rest of your life. And so it's so vital that you look at the environments that you're putting yourself in. You know, he hear me as a shepherd this morning, not as a, as a father figure in your life, but as a shepherd. It, it is, the, is the environment on the weekend, the friends and the party and the, and the bar and the situation that you're putting yourself into, is it really a safe environment or could that potentially lead to the temptations that ruin the next several years of your life? So you've got to think through, you've got to think Ahead, be proactive and not just reactive. The enemy is trying to destroy your future, right? And so God wants us to set ourselves up. Here, here's David laying on the couch, laying on the couch, being lazy. He finally gets up, he goes out on the terrace and he sees a woman bathing, Bathsheba. She's beautiful. And the first look is by accident, but then he continues to look. And not only does he continue to look, but then he's, he, he begins to ask questions about her, right? It's, it's, the, it's the text message that you might send, guys. It's the DM you might send on Snapchat. It, it, it's all of the social media avenues that you might use to, to follow that person. It's, you know, strategically placing yourself at work to run into this uh, woman, right? And, and, and to have conversations and flirt with her, right? This is what David is doing. He's, he's, he's emboldening, he's, he's using all his resources to begin to uh, build this relationship with this woman. And he finds out that she's married, but that doesn't stop him. He doesn't care. 
he continues to go down the dark road. Not only does he ask questions, but eventually he sends for her. And of course, as the king, she has to come and, and then he sleeps with her. And his ego is so big, he's not thinking about who God is or what God might do to him. He's lost his fear of God. The book of Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. I, I want to warn you today. Some of you have lost your fear of God. You, you think God is the old man with the big white beard and the cane that is only going to give you candy. And, and, and you've lost the holiness and, and the justice of God in your life. And I want David's story to, to, to ring, you know, ring very clear in our hearts and minds today that God is not mocked. Scripture is very clear that if you are a child of God, God disciplines his own, just like a good parent would discipline their kids. And, and so I, I want you to have a healthy fear of God. I want you to understand that what God does in David's life, he's going to do in my life and in your life as well. And so I want us to not lose that fear that God is going to work. Don't let your pride and your ego grow so big that you live in this life of luxury and comfort and forget the calling that he's placed on your life. Bathsheba becomes pregnant because of this. And then immediately David hits the panic button. He hits the panic button. I mean, chaos happens and you and I are tempted to hit the panic button. How many of you have ever been like in a really stressful situation and you've hit the panic button and you've done some even worse things? Anybody want to admit, man, we get emotional. You fire off that email. You get so mad. You take this and boom, you send that text message and boom, that'll show them. <laughs> You know, we, we get emotional and angry and upset and we make some really bad decisions. So another, like put this kind of to the side, like when you get emotional, don't have the conversation yet. Don't send the message yet. Cool off, pray about it, think through it before you actually respond. Immediately, David, he doesn't talk to a spiritual leader in his life. He doesn't talk to a, a pastor or a godly friend we don't see any evidence that he prays or he goes to the scripture about this decision. He just fires it off, right? He just starts to manipulate the situation. And that's what a lot of us do as well. He used his influence to manipulate. In verses 6 through 14, uh, what he does is he calls for Uriah, that's Bathsheba's husband, off the battlefield. And so he comes back to uh, Jerusalem and his plan to manipulate the situation is that, listen, I'll just send Uriah home. Uh, he'll sleep with his wife. You know, you know, then you know, she's pregnant. Nobody will think anything. So I'm just going to cover this deal up. This is a beautiful plan. What he doesn't understand, though, is Uriah is a pretty awesome dude. Uh, he's like the, one of David's Navy SEALs. And in, in, in earlier in uh, the book of Samuel, uh, it talks about David's 30. And like the, the, the 30 like warriors that David had were the top of the top tier warriors. And Uriah was in that group. And so he comes home and he won't go to his house. He won't even go see his wife. And Uriah's like, look, my, my, my men, my, my soldiers, my brothers are on the battlefield right now. I can't go home and eat and drink and, you know, sleep with my wife while, while they're out there. And so he doesn't go home. And so David's like, oh, great. Now what am I going to do? 
The next day he goes, I, I got it figured out. I'm going to give him a big bottle of wine. I'm going to get him drunk. And surely if he gets drunk, then he'll go home and want to sleep with his wife. But that didn't work either. Uriah is a man that like, do you want him on your team? Right? And, and, and so now what's he going to do? So, so the manipulation isn't quite working like he thought it was going to work. And so the next section here is that he uses influence to end a life. In verses 14 to 27, he calls Joab the commander of the army. And he says, hey, I want you to put Uriah on the front lines where it's the most dangerous. And at the right moment, I want you to pull back. What's he doing? He's, he's essentially killing Uriah. If I can't get him to sleep with his wife and to cover this up, I'm just going to take him out. And that's exactly what happens. He dies on the battlefield. Word comes back to David that he had died. And David is, is, is in such a dark place that he's like, oh, well, you know what? That, that, that's what happens. People die on the battlefield and he just kind of brushes it off. And you think, man, where's the sadness? Where's the, where's the compassion there? And he had lost it all. He was in a very dark place. You lose compassion when you're in that dark place, just trying to cover up sin, just trying to cover up all the, 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 the wrong that might be in your life. And it's lie after lie after lie. And it's manipulated and it's manipulated and it's cover up. And so you don't even remember what you lied about. And you can't, you can't keep up all the lies. And some of you know what that feels like because you're in that today. You've lied to your wife. You've lied to your boss. And you're trying to cover up and cover up. And you're looking at this, this particular image online. And you're having this relationship with this woman. And all of this is boiling up in your life. And I think God brought you here to give you one more warning today. Don't be like David. Don't use your influence to manipulate. Don't use your influence to end the life after he dies. Let's read verses 26 to 27. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Don't miss that. Don't miss that the sin that is in your life is displeasing the Lord. He will have compassion and patience for a season. But that season will end. What has David done here? This exciting leader of Israel, the giant slaying king that everybody respected, the man after God's own heart has done something that he never dreamed he would ever do. And he's in a dark place. Maybe you've become somebody like him. You're, you're somebody today that you never dreamed you would be. You never dreamed you would be with the person that you're trying to date now. You never dreamed that you would make the decisions that you've made. And, and so today you find yourself just like David in a, in a heart of, 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 of darkness. When David heard the news that she was pregnant, he could have confessed his sin, but he doesn't. He deceives and he lies Right. So many uh, feel when we when we make a mistake that the first reaction is to cover, to cover, to blame, to hide. This is what most of us will feel when sin enters our life, when bad decisions are made. And that just takes us to a deeper place and pattern of sin. We have to be mindful 
How do we get to this point? Didn't happen overnight. You don't commit adultery overnight. You don't just wake up and make that decision. It happens over time. It's a slow fade. It's one conversation. It's text messages. It's social media conversations. It's flirting. You know, a little bit uh, at a time. It's just simply uh, neglecting your own spouse, running away from God, not putting yourself in the right environments. All of these things are part of this slow fade. And we get to this point and David didn't pull the trigger, but he's responsible for murder. He felt like he didn't have a choice. I'm sure he felt like I could just sweep this under the rug. I can cover this up and no one will know. But that's not the case. I think we're seeing similar things in our culture today. When a woman gets pregnant, maybe it's an unwanted pregnancy. She's afraid. Uh, She might feel all alone. And then you have a culture that is screaming that abortion is health care. Abortion is an easy cover up. Abortion can make it go away. But as Christians, we know different. We know there's a better way. We know that in the midst of that scary time, there is hope and there is help. We know that there is healing. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And as Christians, we believe that every person is made in the image of God, intrinsic in value and worth. And it doesn't matter what color of skin, what country someone is from. Uh, We know and believe that they are made in the image of God. It does not matter how young or old a person is, whether they are young enough to be alive in the womb or if they are elderly, we're called to love, speak up for and care for that individual. We believe life happens at conception. And today marks the 50th anniversary of of Roe v. Wade. And we're thrilled by the the recent decision, obviously by the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade and give the states authority to to set their own policy. And that is a good move. It's a huge win for those of us who believe in the sanctity of life. But of course, the battle isn't over. We've got to continue to pray for God's blessing to eradicate abortion. We're going to pray that women who might experience an unwanted pregnancy would realize that there is hope and healing for them. A few years back, I went to Washington, uh, Washington DC to, to march in the March of Life, March for Life, and encourage you to do that if you've never done that. Great experience and the prayers that are lifted up there, many of them uh, God has answered. Um, many more, we believe, need to be answered. I, I know you're probably watching the news, Tony Dungy, a former NFL football coach, he's an analysis now on one of the major networks and, and he's catching a lot of heat right now because of his Christian beliefs on abortion and, and um, the, the, the same sex agenda. And we, we can't be surprised by that. It's gonna happen in this world, but it will require you to be vocal uh, on social media and whatnot to support guys like him. Show your support, encourage. I think it's important that we do that and, and, and not just sit in silence. I think the culture is going to consistently yell at Christians who um, believe what we believe. And, 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 and I think the culture is also, you know, in this vein that they think, oh, you, you don't care about the women. You don't care about babies. You just want this to go away. Of course, that's not true. That's uneducated ignorance at Foothills Church and at many churches. Uh, We have an entire orphan care ministry. 
that supports organizations financially. Um, our people, we encourage uh, you to serve in those organizations. We're training people to become foster parents, train people uh, in, in how to effectively adopt. Uh, we come alongside those families who are fostering and adopting and care for them on their journey. Today, you'll see several of our partners that serve in these types of ministries and care ministries uh, in our atrium at both locations. And I want to encourage you to go speak to them, learn, uh, be educated on what they're doing. Know that when you give to Foothills Church, you're giving financially to those organizations. I, I want to encourage you to consider fostering, consider adopting. We need more people who are equipped for this. Uh, perhaps your small group could foster uh, or adopt someone who's adopting. Commit to um, not only pray and encourage them, but commit to actually support them with uh, needs that they might have, material needs. I think it's a great idea that, that we do this as a church. People, you know, we, we naturally want to do what culture does and we want to march and we want to do, you know, create signs and argue and this, and, and maybe there's a, you know, a time for that. Like I said, I, I, I've marched, but, you know, these types of ministries are a way that we are proactive against this fight. These are ministries and organizations that help us to become proactive to serve in and to sacrifice time for. And if we can get word out that there is hope and that there is help available, then more young women will be informed and won't feel like they're alone. The larger we can help pregnancy resource centers get their message out there into the community, the more life will win. So I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to serve in kids ministries and student ministries to help train this young generation to think through what it means and, and how to live and, and how they can influence their friends. The greatest missionaries in our church are those students walking into those pagan high schools in our community. Right? And so we want to equip them so that they can have those conversations. Unwanted pregnancies are going to continue to happen in our country. And so it's important for us as a church to not only pray for, give to, and serve in these organizations, but we want to help make and, and, uh, people in our community aware of what's actually happening as well. A few statistics for you. In Tennessee, there are 9,000 children in foster care. In Blount County, there are 168. And in Knox County, there are 608. And there are over 300 children available for adoption today. The need for fostering is great. And I, I, would, I, would, I would encourage you to ask the question today if God might lay that on your heart. And, and, and maybe, maybe you would say, I'm not in a position today, but maybe one day, then maybe if that's the case, then I would encourage you to go talk to our, our, our friends in the atrium today. Learn more, uh, begin to pray through how God might use you in that way. I believe that God would stir some of that in uh, your, your life. At the same time that we obviously want to preach the truth about abortion, that it, is, that it is ending a life and we are against it. We also know that there are several people in our community and even in our church who have experienced an abortion or know someone really close to them who has. And so, so in that situation, there's another uh, partner and organization that can help you. So we know that that might be 
and, and most likely is a heavy burden that you carry, but there's an organization that will help you. And we support, we have volunteers that go. Some of my dear, dear friends um, have, have experienced that and, 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 and walking through um, a journey of, of, of healing through this organization called Deeper Still can help restore some of the pain that is in your life. I wanna encourage you, the story is not over. God is still going to use you and do great things in your life and bring healing in your life. I'm super, super thankful uh, for Tracy Taplin, who leads all of our orphan care ministries. She does an, an amazing job. She's the one to talk to and, and um, she's the one that leads this. And so I'm so thankful for her. I'm thankful for my brother, Pastor Todd, uh, and his wife, Christy. They're back from Africa now and he's serving as our uh, pastor of development and over all of our care ministries and expanding those. And so this is a great team that's gonna continue to uh, provide opportunities for healing uh, in all walks of life and in, in, in all ways as, as we grow as a church. And one encouraging thing, just so you know, Tracy was telling me about this, that there's an organization called Tennessee Kids Belong. And this year, Foothills Church was named East Tennessee Foster Friendly Community of the Year. How about that? That's pretty awesome. All of you that are involved in that, you guys are awesome and God is using you. And so we see David here, he, he thinks that there's not another way. He thinks that he has to cover up. And, in, in, and it's the same temptation that you and I will face and what he needed to know and what you need to know is the second strategy to overcome temptation in your life. And that is confess and repair instead of manipulating cover. Confess and com and. and and confess and repair instead of manipulate and, and, and cover. So often in our life, we resist the confession moment. And this is what David needed. Before he understood what confession did, he wrote this in Psalm 32. He said, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of night. Before confession takes place, there's a burden, there's a heaviness, it affects you physically. Stress affects you physically, it makes you sick, right? It causes all kinds of unhealthiness in our physical body. Here's what scripture says in James chapter five, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, right? And so confession brings healing. Some of you have experienced some sin in your life today and it's heavy on your heart. I want to encourage you to take the step of confession. Confess to the Lord. Confess to a godly friend that you trust. Go to the care and prayer room today and spend some time in confession and in prayer with some folks in there that will love on you. This is what David needed. It's what he was resisting. Let's keep going in the story. In verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, And then... The Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there was two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he, and he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to, come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. 
Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. Because he had no pity, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Oh. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. What's happening here? David is judgmental and critical of the man that basically took the lamb, one lamb, right? And he wanted the man, the penalty to be for that man, death. Have you ever noticed that some of the most critical and judgmental people might be the people who are hiding the most sin? Next time you want to be critical of somebody in your family or somebody at work, think about that. A lot of times it works that way. If you're hiding sin in your life, you become even more critical and judgmental of other people. And this is where David is at. But thankfully, God brought Nathan into his life. And so I would say the third strategy as we wrap up today is to develop the right relationships to guide you to Jesus. You need the right relationships to guide you. Nathan was guiding David in love. Now, I don't want you to read this story and think, I'm going to go be Nathan for somebody. And I'm going to go, you are the man. Now, that's not how it works. You're David in this story in the sense that you need to look at your own sin and people in your life who you said, hey, I want you to hold me accountable. That's what, that's what we need. We need small group leaders in our life. We need godly leaders and pastors in our life that would, that would be in a relationship with us that would say, how's your marriage? How's your sex life with your spouse? How, how, are you looking at pornography? You know, are you flirting with anybody at work? Those are the questions you need in your life and you need a godly friend that's asking you those questions. And, and so this is the right kind of relationship that would point you to Jesus. We talk about small groups all the time, but this is the point. This is the point of a mentor, of, of friends in your life that are asking these hard questions. This is being proactive in your life to help you overcome the temptations that we know the enemy is throwing and, and putting before us. You know, the Lord knows and God knows everything that's happening and the story gets worse. So hold on. In chapter 12, verse 22, the child that Bathsheba gives birth to gets really, really sick. And so David fasts and prays for the health of this baby. And it says, why the child was still alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me. He's praying and hoping God would save the baby the child may live, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? He cannot. He says, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. So theological point right here that I want you to see is that he says, I shall go, even though the baby won't return. He's, the baby has passed away. It's not, not going to come back. But he says, I shall go to him. And what he is saying there is I'm going to see my child again one day in heaven. And so the hope that we have from this story is a theological point that I want you to remember that you could help someone with. Or maybe you've experienced the death of a child. And, and what, we, what we learn from this is that uh, a, a baby is part of the elect of God, part of God's grace that covers and, and chooses and loves 
And, 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 and in that situation, uh, I fully believe that this and other texts would say that this child would be in heaven. And so if you've ever lost a child, this is a hope that you can cling to today and be encouraged by today. And the story, whew, it's tough. So it's, 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 it's heavy today, I know. But I want us to, to leave with, with the hope that we see in Christ. Verse 24, then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went to her and he lay with her and she bore a son and he called his name Solomon and the Lord loved him. The Lord loved him. The Lord loved Solomon. Out of tragedy and chaos, the Lord still blesses. Out of tragedy and sin and chaos, God blesses David and Bathsheba with Solomon who becomes the wisest man who ever lives, one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. And God uses this line to one day bring the savior of the world. Jesus comes from the line of Solomon, comes from the line of David. And I don't want us to miss that David repented, David turned from his sin and then blessings flowed. Sure, there, if you keep reading, it is heavy. A lot more happens to David because of his sin. So the warning is there, repent and turn quickly. Follow God, give him your life. But in this tragedy, we see God's blessing in hand upon him. The Lord loves Solomon and God's grace triumphs over David's sin here and blesses him in ways that we can't even comprehend. And God will do the same for you. Out of your tragedy, God's grace flows. Despite your sin, Jesus is born and offers you forgiveness and grace and offers you hope and offers you, offers you help through your Foothills Church family. He offers you healing from your pain. He offers you encouragement and, and, and a path of forgiveness and a path to overcome shame and guilt. So your story is not over by any means. It's important for us that we do what we know to do, which is confess, repent, run to Jesus, run to the Father today, run to his love. His arms are open wide, waiting for you to experience the grace and forgiveness that he offers in Jesus today. And I, I encourage you, maybe the Karen prayer room is where you need to head or during this last song of just prayer and just soaking this in. Let's just contemplate what God is doing in our hearts and in your family and let's pray and let's seek and run to the Father in this moment. Let's pray. Father, there are some heavy, heavy things that we discuss as we look at the life of David here and we know that there are people in the room that relate to his story in some way. Lord, would you give them hope today? And would you help them to understand and know today, God, that there are rivers of grace available to them. I pray that they would not give up hope or that they would be discouraged, but that they would see the truth of the gospel today. For those who are like David, who are not in the right place, who are 
really close to adultery today. God, may this be the warning that they needed to shock them out of their stupidity. And I pray that they would run to their spouse today and start a brand new relationship. We love you, Jesus. Minister to us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.